Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast, available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. It's a jam-packed edition of the podcast with a heavy Capital Region flavor. I'll talk with staff writer Adam Schinder about the end of UAlbany's football season. Sports editor Michael Kelly will talk high school football as we get you set for week four of the season. On the national front, we'll talk about the Masters with Brian Katrick of Sirius XM Radio. Leading off is UAlbany men's lacrosse. Last week, Great Danes head coach Scott Marr announced that standout senior attackman Dehoga Nanakoke was dismissed from the team for what Mark termed based on team internal team issues. To talk about that and preview Thursday's game between the Danes and Syracuse is staff writer Mike McGadden. Mike, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Ken. So what happened? I mean, was this news kind of stunning? Um, it, it, it's one of those questions where you're surprised, but you're not shocked, I think. Um, or maybe it's even the other way around. You're shocked, but you're not surprised is a better way of putting it. Um, from the moment Dehoga Nanico got to U Albany, he's he's been a supremely skilled, talented player. Very entertaining with his stick skill and his vision and and his creativity. Um, and I think he was treated like a superstar all the way along, as he should have, but perhaps took advantage of it. I mean, we're reading between the lines on a lot of things without actual, you know, hard evidence. Um, but that's what it kind of smells like. Um, his season this year was a total roller coaster. He was among like 11 players who missed the season opener um, due to COVID protocols, which, you know, that, you know, we're not blaming anybody for that. But then subsequently he was a couple, he was among a couple players who were suspended by the America East for a game for a fight that broke out in the fourth quarter of a huge blowout by U Albany at Binghamton. And if you look at the tape of that, Dehoga looked like he was looking for a fight. And if he's supposed to be a leader on this team, he shouldn't. I mean, he. it was a situation where two players from each team were coming off. They were going through the box, which, you know, it's at midfield as they're supposed to. And the Binghamton guy, whether on purpose or not, rammed into the Albany guy and just decked him on the sideline. And that turned into a fight. And Dehoga, at that point, you look at the video on Twitter, he, he had an opportunity to make a decision and to make a choice there. And he chose to just like shove a guy and start a fight and, you know, cooler heads could have prevailed. Um, that's not what a senior leader is supposed to do. So that was like the most concrete example of how there, there might've been some things going on there when they say based on internal team issues, that wasn't very internal right there. Yeah. That was in plain sight for everybody to see behind the scenes. You know, we don't really know. Um, but I think it was a little, a little bit of a product of him being selfish on the field a little bit and, and taking his, his star status, um, taking advantage of it to some degree in certain ways, whether on or off the field. Um, it, it's a tricky decision by the UAlbany coaching staff because the trade-off is you're losing a guy who not only is, he's not just flashy, he's very productive. I mean, after seven games, four of which he's only four of which he's played in, He's still technically the, the top point producer on this team for the season. Um, but the trade-off is you, you lose that, but perhaps you gain like a more cohesive, unselfish team offensively. And unselfish was a word that you, that came up a lot during this week and post-game last week. And, and so you kind of read between the lines there that they might overall be a better team offensively with him gone, even though you're, the sacrifice is you're – throwing away a ton of numbers and, and, you know, quick scoring and instant offense when you need it. And he's a guy that if you get behind that you could kind of lean on to, to get you back in a game. So um, I'm sure this, I'm sure they put a lot of thought into this, but I think it was a long time coming too. And then push came to shove literally this, this season with that fight. And um, so, you know, we kind of lose out a little bit because we, we don't get to see his his amazing play anymore. But I think moving forward, you Albany might not be as entertaining of a team. I mean, they, they'll always be entertaining just by the way they play generally. Um, but there will be perhaps no drama. You know, you, 
you lose that one guy and you, you're kind of eliminating the drama, which can really be a serious hamper on what, what you're trying to accomplish. And then that first game without him on the team anymore, last Saturday they crushed UMass Lowell 17-6. Well, and I, you forget about that. I mean, because, I mean, Albany should be UMass Lowell, but it's interesting that Scott Meyer, their head coach, keeps bringing up as a point of reference um, two games that he really liked the way they played, which was the season opener against Colgate and the UMass game, which to this date is still their best win of the season against a very good ranked opponent. And perhaps not coincidentally, those the Hogan-Nanticles did not play in either one of those games because Colgate was the COVID game and UMass was the game that he sat for suspension. And so it's just kind of interesting that he, he, he keeps pointing to those two games. Um, and specifically – both games, they had a very high percentage of their goals were scored with assists. So they didn't really have a lot of unassisted goals, which you know indicates that they're throwing it around and, and looking for each other. And you know there's not, not a lot of one-on-one play to try to drive goals. Um, so I, I keep going back to that. He brought that up a couple times that he said, I like the way we played. I think the assists in the uh, UMass game uh, were – 10 of 13 goals scored and 12 of 15 goals scored against Colgate. That's pretty solid and illustrates, you know, the kind of team play and unselfishness that they're looking for. Yeah, Nanako got a great freshman year, but then we started seeing some issues sophomore year. He got you know, suspended yeah. by the NCAA for a look, an Instagram yeah, post. I don't know if he was ever, I'd have to go back and look at that if he was actually technically suspended or i mean it was kind of a lot of weird conflict going on between scott and the ncaa at the time of i think there was a little bit of self-policing there wondering if maybe you know and and it seemed like a pretty innocent social media mistake where he just kind of complimented a stick stringing company that he uses it but it came across you know the ncaa is really strict about this stuff if it looks like you're you're promoting a business you know you can't do that and then but then he came – he did get back in the fold, and he was past that issue apparently, but then he dressed for a game, and then Scott didn't play him at all, which, you know, is an interesting benching, um, So, which shows you that there was some, still some lingering stuff going on there. So that that was kind of rocky. And, of course, last year was a, you know, throwout because the season got cut short. But um, so, see, I think there was a, a gradual buildup over the course of the years, and they – they can kind of deal with it. And he likes this team and he thinks they can do something. And, you know, it might've been the time to just cut the cord at that point and, and, and see what you can do without him. I mean, I, I know it's, it's kind of tough to talk to players in this day and age with the, with the COVID yeah, it and it's basically zoom, but is there any sense of relief that he's, that Nanticoke's gone? I don't think relief is the word. The interesting thing um, they brought in, um, Graydon Hogg and Regan Endress, who's their very good improving freshman faceoff specialist after the Lowell game last week. And, and Regan had his best game of the season, too. He was like 18 out of 26 winning uh, faceoffs, which is a, a big key for them. It will be a huge key for them against Syracuse this week. But um, both kids were like, and this is still fresh. I mean, this is like four days after, after the bomb dropped on the Dahoga news. And Neither of them were like in a real celebratory mood. They were just very kind of grim as somber is too strong of a word, but they were just kind of matter of fact and business like. You didn't really, they weren't cracking smiles or anything like that. And they just ran a team pretty hard there, 17 to 6. I thought, and, and Scott admitted also right after the game that it was the end of a very emotional week because they're all friends with him, with Dahoga still. He's friends with that. They like him personally. So it was kind of a, um, you know, kind of two double-edged sword for the players because this is their friend and they know he's a really good player and he can help them. But at the same time, he's gone now and, and they have to figure out a way to move forward without him. So it was, that was kind of interesting. And both kids were just sort of – and, you know, I, I, neither of them is like a huge animated, you know, they're not up there doing a comedy act when they're when they're on the Zoom stuff. But I, it was kind of interesting that they, they there was absolutely not a grain of, like, celebration going on there between what either of them was saying. Yeah, Dehoga, uh, about the only social media post he posted was about, uh, you know, he's going to finish his education, graduate in May. Yeah, that was, that, and, I thought that yeah. was really good. It was classy on his part. And he, he called out the whole coaching staff by name and saying, thank you and and uh making me who i am and I, you know that that's not a pretty genuine and heartfelt and he didn't have to do that um so 
it seems it, it, that's why it's kind of like a complicated, sad thing that that, that it came to this point. But um, you know, you got to trust the coaches. They've been doing this for a long time, and they they kind of read the tea leaves and said maybe it wasn't even that yeah. that hard to read. Um, we we got to make a move here, and we can't wait. The question is, what's his future? I mean, obviously, with the you know no season the season canceled last year. He could have that extra year of eligibility to use if he wants to transfer. Yeah, and I, I mean, he, he's a tough nut to crack, and it's hard to, you know, again, like you already mentioned, it's hard to communicate with these guys. I will say the premier lacrosse league draft, is college draft, is coming up on April 26th. I guarantee he's going to get pulled pretty high in, in that draft, and, and you know, which was kind of his destiny all along. It's just a matter of whether he feels like another, he needs another year of college or even feels like doing another year of college. I mean, I've – I'm going to take a wild stab that, that he's going to get drafted later this month, and then that's going to be it. Yeah. Uh, big match coming up Thursday at 5 o'clock as the Great Danes travel to number nine Syracuse. Of course, Syracuse was supposed to come here last year for the first time, and that got canceled because of the pandemic. I guess they're expected to come next year. But how do you see this matchup? Um, I see it as a very interesting one, and, and U Albany is rightfully – has to be concerned that Syracuse is just going to come out guns blazing because their their last two losses uh, they lost to Duke by one goal and then they lost to Notre Dame last week when they were up six two early second quarter and gave up nine goals in the second in the second quarter and um, whatever the I think it was sixteen ten or something like that I can't remember the exact final score but they were up you know not big but in command you would think in you know early stages of the game so they're not going to be happy campers coming in to the dome on on thursday so um matchup wise i already mentioned the face-offs and that's going to be an interesting little aspect of the game to keep an eye on because syracuse has been brutally bad at that and like i already mentioned regan Enders has really been improving and is coming off his best game at you know at the face-off x for the season so if Albany can get the ball a lot early um, and, and pop a couple and, uh, you know, they do need to get the early upper hand because even though it's going to be limited crowd there, it won't be a typical um, carrier dome crowd. Um, there will be people there. And if you let Syrac- Syracuse kind of get the upper hand early, they're very good at building off that momentum, you know, Notre Dame game notwithstanding. Um so I think the face-off situation is going to be a huge, huge factor in who wins this game, and 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 you got to check that department in in Albany's favor right now, based on the last couple games and, and how uh, how Regan Endress has been improving. One player you wrote about uh, on the Syracuse team is a Shaker graduate, Stephen Rafus, uh, leading the team in scoring. He, he started out his college career at Holy Cross. He really wasn't looked at much, uh, but then he somehow ended up at Syracuse and has had a you know, leading score. He really score. wasn't looked at at all because he was very undersized. He had tremendous stats at Shaker High, but he was so small and really wasn't recruited by D1 out of high school and wound up at, you know, it was kind of a domino effect, one of those behind-the-scenes things where he wound up at Holy Cross and then he didn't really like the situation there and decided, hey, I'm going to throw my name in the portal and see what happens. And, Lo and behold, Syracuse came knocking, um, as uh, head coach John Desco said yesterday on Wednesday, <clears throat> um, he, he filled a need. They needed a lefty guy uh, up front like that who was productive, and and it's just worked out great for Stephen Rafis because he's really developed himself into a top-notch player on a national level, um, and he grew a little bit too. I mean, he's six foot 183, so he's, he's got decent size now. And he's really turned into a productive player for them. Very smart player. His sister, Abby Rafis, is a head coach at, for the Siena women's team. I talked to her also on uh, Tuesday. And she remarked how, he, you know, he always makes the right play. He's very smart. He's a student of the game. Scott Mark said a lot of the, kind of the same things. Um, in fact, the quote that he had, um, he seems to always make that play when they need a play. Um and he's productive, and he's kind of running the show for them right now. So it's good, pretty interesting story for a kid that wasn't even looked at, and all of a sudden he's, he's you know, one of the top players for Syracuse. After the game uh, Thursday, uh, UAlbany closes out with four uh, American East Conference games, three at home. Uh, Sunday at home against UMBC, next Friday at Vermont, April 24th at home against NJIT, and then May 1st at home against Hartford. Uh, I guess they're hoping to get a home game for the uh, – Playoffs, if they can get a 
Yeah, and it the, the conference is really kind of interesting at the top right now. There's five teams separated by one game, and I don't know. I, I didn't ask Scott this, but it'd be interesting if he, if he had his preference whether you'd have those two games front-loaded, uh, UMBC and Vermont, because those are two of the teams in the mix. I mean, they should beat NJIT and Hartford at the end of the season. I mean, would you prefer coming quick off of Syracuse game on Thursday, coming right back on Saturday, would you prefer to have one of those, you know, maybe those easier opponents. Um, but they get right back into the fire with UMBC and Vermont, uh, a team that, that handled them pretty good earlier in the season that they really, really, really want to play again. They want to have another crack at them. But the next two Saturdays after uh, the next two weekends after the Syracuse game are going to be a total pivot point for, um, for Albany, you know, finishing in the top four and getting a home game. Well, Mike, appreciate you coming on the podcast. Talk to you, Albany. Uh, we'll probably catch up with you once it gets into the Murk East tournament. All right, that sounds good. I'll be around. All right, that's Mike McAdam. We'll see you on the Albany campus as Adam Schinder talks about the premature end to the Great Danes football season. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast. Sign up for the weekly Daily Gazette sports newsletter. The newsletter features updates on the local sports scene from our staff writers, debate on topics local and national, and reveals the latest guests for the Parting Shots podcast. The newsletter is free. To sign up, head to dailygazette.com. Hi, I'm Miles Reed, editor of the Daily Gazette, and you're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette associate sports editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. Last Wednesday was a very busy day for the Albany Athletic Department. Besides the men's lacrosse news, the football team announced that it was opting out of the final two games of its season. It had nothing to do with COVID-19. Rather, numerous injuries led to the decision to end the season. To discuss this is staff writer Adam Schinder. And Adam, uh, it's unfortunate the way this season turned out for the Danes. Uh, Absolutely unfortunate. Uh... And while it didn't have anything directly to do with COVID-19, uh, one of the things that uh, head coach Greg Gattuso stressed a lot uh, in his in his media availability after the decision came out was that a lot of the injuries, especially the soft tissue stuff, can really be traced back to the fact that UAlbany did not have a single practice in pads in the entire calendar year of 2020. Uh, all of the COVID pauses that happened on the UAlbany campus in the fall semester got them to about five team workouts, most of which were either in shorts or uh, in helmets, no shoulder pads. So they came back in February and uh, they were not in the kind of shape that uh, Gattuso would have wanted. And But even considering the injuries just piled up at an absurd rate. And, uh, yeah, it did not surprise – it surprised me that the decision came, but the, the fact that they did not have enough players to build a competitive roster didn't surprise me at all. Yeah, because you have to look ahead to the 2020, uh, 2021 fall season with uh, that because you, you want healthy players. You have guys that are getting hurt right now. It's going to take them some time to recover, and then you got to get ready in August for the uh, new season when they get back to hopefully some normalcy. Yes, that was a big thing, and they, you know, uh, they were a little coy on whose injuries might last through the summer into the fall. Uh, but these were key players who were going down uh, left right. I know, obviously, uh, Jeff Undercuffler, uh, Red Dates quarterback, missed the last game of the season. That seemed to be much more of a of a week to week issue uh, with his ribs. The, They've been hopeful the night before the Stony Brook game that he'd be able to play. Uh, but guy, guys, they lost their starting right tackle, Paris Heath, in the second game of the season. Uh, number of wide receivers, Tyler Odekoven, who was a leading receiver, missed a couple of games. Uh, guys on the defensive line were going out left and right. And but the uh, the week the week four game against Stony Brook was just a cavalcade of guys getting you know taken off the field. You know, uh, Greg Gattuso said. He doesn't go onto the field for an injury unless he's got a suspicion that a guy is really hurt. And during that Stony Brook game, he probably made six or seven trips. Wow. Um, do you think there's – I mean, they were excited to get the season going, but looking back now, do you think there's some regret that they actually played? Uh, I honestly don't think so. As bad as some of the injuries were, the big thing for, for you, Albany, was this was a team that in a lot of key spots uh, was turning over a lot of guys from that 2019 team. Uh, they were introducing a lot of new guys in the secondary. 
really an entirely new offensive line, an entirely new receiving core. And they were getting some guys in in some different spots. Uh, and there were some guys who really, as young players, uh, made a big impact that if they had not gotten on the field this spring, they'd be going into needing to play in the fall immediately against what is a brutal early schedule. This team starts at North Dakota State, which is the best FCS program in the country, and then two weeks later they have their F- their FBS game of that season, which is at Syracuse. That's it's incredible they have that kind of schedule. But, uh, yeah, you mentioned Jeff Undercuffle. He had a great 2019, helped lead the uh, Danes to the playoffs. But he struggled a little bit uh, in those three games that he played. What was the – what was – what do you think he was doing – wrong that yeah, he wasn't I, doing well yeah i think it was it was a very big mix of things i mean first off you, you have to take into consideration the, the two road games they played were in some brutal windy tough weather conditions he was actually very good in the opener up against new hampshire through three touchdown passes really got that team going uh, but then started the struggle in a lot of wind against maine and then stony brook or excuse me rhode island was just a little bit careless with the ball for the three interceptions all in uh, Rhode Island territory. Uh, the one he threw at the end of the first half just took a shot to the end zone to a receiver. There wasn't anyone within 10 yards of the ball, and it would have been an, an easy field goal uh, attempt for you all when he late in that half. Uh, but was dealing with a brand-new offensive line and a completely rebuilt receiving core. Juwan Green and Jared Reeves in 2019 made up about two-thirds of the past game production for UAlbany. They're both gone. Uh, UAlbany coaching staff really liked Tyler Odekoven, and he was very good in the two games he played. Other than that, they didn't have a single receiver who had ever taken a snap for the program before. Uh, Mike Gray, redshirt freshman, came on, played pretty well. And then other than that, it was injuries kept going up. They had two grad transfers, Mo Javi and Makai Stevenson. Uh, Javi played a little bit and went in and out with injuries. Stevenson played about a half dozen, 10, 12 snaps the entire season. So between that and a rebuilt offensive line and not having the time to build chemistry with these guys just seemed like it's a group that getting this will help and it should be better in the fall. So with these injuries, what do we expect out of this team in 2021? Yeah, it's really going to be interesting to see what they look like uh, in the fall. Obviously, Injuries will be one thing. The second thing is which guys on this team are opting to use the extra year of eligibility. Uh, Levi Matheny, the team's All-American linebacker, he's already said uh, he's entered the transfer portal. He's going to go somewhere else as a grad transfer. Excellent player, tackling machine. They do have guys at linebacker. Uh, Jackson Ambush is a linebacker this team is really, really high on. Uh, Carl Mofor could be testing the waters for the NFL draft. Uh, Depends. He could come back for another year, which would be huge because they're not super deep at running back. And then, yeah, it's what guys come back. You know, Mazon Walker, uh, their uh, really good defensive tackle. He had what looked to be a pretty rough injury at the end of this. At the end of that game, they had some guys that were really they were really high on uh, guys like uh, Sean Evans was a freshman defensive back who fractured an ankle on the very first kickoff of the spring. Didn't play again. He was a guy. Greg Gattuso mentioned, could be uh, an injury that lasts for a while. So there's a lot of guys, and it's just going to be, you know, when they get back on campus in in August, who's there, who's on the depth chart. And and from that point, you know, if the guys who are there who produced come back, there are some potential really good players, but it's a brutal schedule, Uh, not just the non-conference, but the CAA as always. And you mentioned Matheny. He had a team-high 120 total tackles in 2019, including a Colonial Athletic Association best 63 solo stop. So what is his departure? Is that How much does that hurt? I mean, he's he's the leader of that defense. He calls the defense. He, he does everything Greg Gattuso wants him to do. You know, it's really – it is going to depend on uh, a few other things. A.J. Missler and one of the other linebackers should be back. Danny D'Amico – who was really, really good for most of this season, uh, could use that extra year. They really like Jackson Ambush. And there's parts on that defense that have a lot of strengths. Jared Verse, uh, who was a redshirt freshman this year, and you know, I, I don't like to use ridiculous superlatives, but every time I saw this kid, I'm just, I just had in my mind, this kid is an NFL player three years from now. He's six foot four, 
He's 250 pounds. He was a state champion in Pennsylvania in the 4x400 relay in high school. Uh, had four sacks in four games, 10 tackles for loss. And it wasn't just speed rushing. He had a sack uh, in the last game against Stony Brook where he took their 6'6", 335-pound right tackle and in about a second and a half shoved him directly back into the Stony Brook quarterback. It was the kind of play that jumps off the, off the, off the field. Do you think he can go to uh, like a major college? He's a potential transfer target at some point. I, I would think I, I never like to speculate on that stuff. He was certainly under-recruited because he was very undersized coming into the As a freshman uh, in 2019, he was listed at 220 pounds on the UAlbany roster, which means he probably came in on campus at 200, 205 pounds. Uh, was a tight end mostly uh, in, in high school in, in Borough, Pennsylvania, but put on 50 pounds. He, he is a guy that, if, if he's looked at, could be, but he also seems very committed, and this coaching staff absolutely loves this kid. Yeah, some other Colonial Athletic Association football news. Two other programs uh, opted out, New Hampshire and Rhode Island. And Rhode Island just happened on Wednesday as we taped this, uh, just the COVID situation. New Hampshire didn't play after that UAlbany yeah, game, New right? Hampshire, New Hampshire played its first game against UAlbany uh, back on March 5th and did not play again. They had a they had some COVID pauses uh, that just stopped that team from ever really getting going. Uh, really, it uh, does make you feel bad. Uh, Sean McDonald, their head coach, the Saratoga Springs guy, uh, if you feel really bad, he came back, missed the 2019 season while he was undergoing cancer treatment. Mm-hmm. Came back, played one game as a legendary coach up there. Uh, so he had a tough one. Rhode Island had, had gotten off to a, a really good start uh, their first couple of their first couple of games. Won a couple of overtime games against Villanova and New Albany, and yeah, they hit they hit the COVID pauses and you know decided that these these last two weeks they weren't going to be able to, to field the team. Well, interesting. It's it's going on here. It's Colonial Athletic Association. Well, hopefully next time we talk New Albany football, we're talking healthy players and uh, obviously. The, preview of the season when they play North Dakota State. It has the potential to be an ex- it's an extremely interesting start to next year. North Dakota State going up to the Fargo Dome is, is a fascinating road trip. It's the kind of game that Greg Gattuso likes to schedule. And uh, and Syracuse, as as a Syracuse alum, I'm extremely excited uh, to head out to the Carrier Dome mm-hmm. and hopefully see that game. Uh, Syracuse is a team that's coming off a pretty bad season uh, in, in 2020, yeah. but uh, has some interesting pieces coming back, and that could be a really interesting game if you all make it full strength. Well, I'd appreciate it. Uh, we'll obviously have you back on the podcast for other material, like high school football and all that stuff, so we have uh, plenty to talk about. Sure all right, that's Adam Schinder. Up next, sports editor Michael Kelly joins me for the weekly high school football segment. Hi, this is Miles Reed, editor of the Daily Gazette. These are difficult times. For most of us, the coronavirus crisis has been a time of unprecedented upheaval, uncertainty, and fear. What does it all mean for our health, our families, our jobs, and our futures? At the Daily Gazette, our journalists have been working tirelessly to answer these questions and many more that have come up during this whole pandemic. How many people have tested positive locally? How many have died? Has anyone died in the local nursing homes? Now, in these difficult times, we're turning to you to support our work by purchasing a subscription or making a donation to help fund our daily efforts. With your support, these are the questions we're continuing to report on. Every day, our reporters and photographers have been working the streets and the phones to answer these critical questions. And every day, they answer the bell with their timely and well-documented reports from the front lines in the region. Behind the scenes, the rest of our editorial team, including our sports writers, copy editors, and digital producers, have been wholly focused on covering the COVID-19 story. During this critical time, everyone here at the paper is working to provide important news and information to keep the community safe and connected. But our ability to serve our community is being threatened by some economic challenges posed by the pandemic, We have stay-at-home orders, business closures, and school shutdowns, and they're contributing to the massive instability in the local business landscape. Despite all of these changes, the Gazette will remain committed to serving the community for many years to come, 
just as we've been doing unfailingly for the past 125 years. So please go to thedailygazette.com and donate or purchase a subscription to The Daily Gazette. Thank you, be well, and please keep reading. Hi, this is Byron Hunter, the world champion New York Giants. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Hey, glad you're back for the Parting Shots podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Week four of the high school football season is set to kick off. And to talk about that and look back at week three is sports editor Michael Kelly. Michael, welcome back to the podcast. Always a pleasure, Ken. Well, we saw some big blowouts uh, over week three. Uh, Burn Hills uh, against Queensbury and uh, Shaker taking on um, Saratoga Springs. Uh, mildly surprised or not? Or... You know, well, I, I mean, blowouts are, are kind of the way we go <laughs> a lot of the time in high school football. Um, you know, those, I think Burn Hills, Queensbury is obviously a surprise and Queensbury was playing its first game. Burn Hills was playing its third game. Um, you know, I think if those teams, you know, if they probably got together and played this week, we'd probably see a much different score because yeah. when those two teams get together, you don't see, you know, multiple touchdown, uh, wins generally. Um, so I, I mean, I think that was the surprising one. And, you know, besides that, you know, I think from, from week three, um, I mean, I think the kind of the continued resurgence of Shenandoah after that week one loss to Shaker, I think that's probably the big story in double A. Um, and then these rest of the classes, I think we have a lot still to, to sort out. Yeah, I was looking at the picture that Erica Miller shot in that Shen CBA game last Thursday. Snowball. <laughs> it was great. Surprise. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, played in a full snowstorm where uh, in uh, at least a variety of the communities around Clifton Park, it was, you know, maybe a little cloudy, but, uh, you know, not snowing. But, yeah, it was like that That game seemed to be the, uh, the center of yeah. that uh, quick blizzard, I guess, that passed through the region. That was kind of fun seeing those pictures, and the kids must have enjoyed it, too. So it was a lot of fun. So uh, Shaker, you know, what can you say about them right now, just the way they're they're running through uh, class double A? Yeah, I mean, this is actually, I mean, probably really similar. I almost said last year, last season in 2019. I mean, this is really similar to what Shaker did at that point and, and really did the season before that as well. Um, you, you know, I think that class double A is, is maybe more competitive than, than some are giving it credit for because I thought, I mean, Gilderland went to Shaker and played a really competitive game in week two. Um, I think the way, I mean, I referenced it before, I think the way that Shenandoah has come on um, in these last couple weeks after that week one uh, shutout loss to Shaker. Um, so, I mean, I think Shaker is, is clearly the top team in that class. Um, but I think those playoffs, which we are uh, rapidly <laughs> approaching, especially in double A, uh, those playoffs starting week five, um, I think those playoffs, uh, especially the last two weeks, could be a lot of fun. Yeah, we're thinking week. This is week four we're talking about, and once week four kicks off, we're past the halfway point. It's just, it's an amazing we've gotten so here so quickly. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a seven week season, and, and, and at least uh, class AA off the top of my head starts their playoffs in week five. We are, I mean, we are really hitting crunch time. Um, for these leagues, which, you know, just feels really weird. Normally we play a seven-week regular season and then have playoffs. Obviously things are, you know, super condensed just to have some type of season um, during this academic year. Um, but, yeah, we are flying through it. And, and at the same time, we have some teams that have only played, you know, a game um, because of disruptions that they've had within their schedule and their programs. Yeah, Schenectady uh, coming uh, had a you know, big second half against Bethlehem last week, number five in the power rankings, and we'll go over that in just a little bit. Uh, what, did you, what do you like about the Schenectady team? They're athletic. They have a lot of spirit, <laughs> a lot of toughness. Mm-hmm. Um, they've dealt with some injuries. Um, you know, that, you know, I think their their week one team, um, you know, maybe could have been a real contender in double-A. They then had some injuries that they've dealt with. Um, you know, I think they're still on track to put together, I mean, a really nice season. Um, you know, I, I think they're, I mean, you mentioned, I won't spoil the power rankings too much, but I mean, they, they are one of those, you know, top five, top six teams, definitely in that classification. Um, they are young. Um, and I think some of those injuries they have are going to keep them from really, you know, being a real like championship contender. 
Um, but, you know, they're, they're a fun team that's having a solid season. Well, let's look ahead to week four. The season kicks off Friday. It's sort of a normal. We have a lot of games Friday, games Saturday, one game Sunday, and Monday football. So I mean, it's sort of, I guess, normal. But uh, what it's, games are you looking at? It's week four, yeah. so we play on four days. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's how they do it every year, I'm sure. Um, you know, I mean, there's I mean, a, a variety of interesting games. I think, uh, you know, just because we just talked about both teams, Schenectady goes to Shaker on Friday. Um, you know, I, I think most would expect Shaker to handle that one relatively easily. But if Schenectady is competitive, then that kind of becomes maybe an interesting barometer game as you move forward a little bit. Um, I think Niskayuna, Scotia in Class A, um, I think that's an interesting game between a couple of Schenectady County teams. Um, you know, as you go further down, um, as you go into Saturday, Gilderland, CBA, um, you know, the CBA hadn't given up a point and then it did not go well yeah. <laughs> for them against Shenandoah. Um, so that matchup of a couple two and one teams, Gilderland and CBA, um, you know, I think that becomes a lot of fun, um, to, to see just kind of how that one plays out. Um, you know, when you go through, I mean, there's going to be a lot of competitive games. I, I would skip ahead right to Monday. Um, which is weird to say. Yeah. Um, for one of our Monday night football games, Balsam Spa and Queensberry, um, which you know, Balsam Spa lost in week one, and you know, when a team loses in week one, it, just the nature of high school football, you kind of write them off a little bit, just because you know they're they're no longer undefeated like half the teams. Uh, but they probably played Burn Hills better than anybody. Uh, that was who they lost to in week one. They probably played them better than anybody through three weeks. Queensbury, as we just talked about, is coming off, um, you know, that, that blowout loss to Burn Hills. Um, so I'm interested to see the two of those teams get together, see how much progress Queensbury has made, or is Boston Spa really one of the better teams in Class A? Well, let's look at the uh, power rankings after week three. Shaker in Class AA is still number one there. Shenandoah uh, is number two. Uh, Gilliland uh, bouncing back with the loss of Shaker with Trouncing County. They're number three. CBA, of course, losing to Shen. Uh, falls to four from uh, number two that uh, they were in tie with Gilderland and then Schenectady, uh, number five at that point. So pretty, pretty solid. Yeah. And, and those ones, I mean, those ones might be pretty well set just with the way that that season has played out, what games are left, um, which again, there's only, this is, I guess, technically the end of their regular season. So I guess obviously it is set. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think there, <laughs> there I think there's, um, I mean, it seems like there's a pretty, you know, decent gap between Shaker and Gilderland and Shen. And then there's another decent gap to CBA. Um, and then there's another decent gap to, to Schenectady. Um, so that class is, you know, I, I think if we come back next week, we come back the week after, those rankings are going to look pretty similar. Yeah. Class A, Troy and Burn Hills 1-2 again as, as they were last week. Um Boston Spa enters the poll because they did not. We're not in, in the last uh, poll, so they're at number three. Avril Park at four, and LaSalle comes in at number five. Yeah, you know, and besides Double A, as we get to these other ones, um, you really start to see just this this pandemic season <laughs> um, <laughs> that we have teams who played different number of games. The number of teams who've played similar opponents uh, is, is less than in like in a normal year, just with the way it's worked out. Um, so they kind of get jumbled, oddly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where, where what you just talked about with Boston Spa, where something like that happens. Um, I do think those top three um, that you said are, um, I, you know, I guess I guess we have to see what happens with Boston Spa and Queensbury on this Monday. Um, those top three, though, I think are, are – I don't want to say set in stone, but they, you know, maybe after this week they could be. Yeah. Uh, we'll go to Class B. Uh, Shawmont stays at uh, number one. Uh, they went over Niskayuna. Clemson Falls finally made its uh, debut after uh, missing out the first couple weeks. So they had a offensive showcase, 50-34 over South Clemson Falls. That must have been a pretty good game to cover. Defense yeah. optional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Ravina, Coyman, Selkirk, number three. They were supposed to play Shawmont, but they had a quarantine issues there, so we don't know. We know the stats of them. If they're going to play. We week believe four. that they're playing this week. Um, as of uh, what we're Wednesday afternoon, we only know for sure of one postponed game, um, which is the Brolin Perth South Falls game. Um, nothing yet has trickled in, but 
um, I'm sure they will. Yeah, Lansing Berg <laughs> at number four, and as we mentioned, Royal Perth uh, number five. They were supposed to play Hudson Falls in week three, and obviously you mentioned they're not going to play uh, this week. So uh, moving over to Class C, Schuylerville outscoring its opposition 140 to 8. Generally good. Yeah, I think so. Hoosick uh, Falls Tamarack, you know, not too shabby either, 115 to 8. Yeah, I mean, th- and those two teams have, uh, you know, I'll let you finish the, the five in a second, but those two, I think, have clearly set themselves apart um, and at least appear to be, um, you know, destined for some type of postseason yeah. meeting yeah. between those two. Yeah, Mechanicville has bounced back with a couple of wins there, and since their opening uh, loss to Schuylerville, they're at three. Fonda Fultonville uh, looks to rebound from that loss to Mechanicville. They're at number four. They got Granville coming up this weekend. And Kasak Yakins uh, came back with a week off uh, to beat Ichabod Crane. Right, yes. I mean, so again, I, mean, I think those those top two are, you know, I, I think there's that's where that one, <laughs> you know, really has a, a break in it, and then you get to those next three. You know, if we could go back to Class B for a yeah, second, sure. I would just say that that is a class where um, the nature of this season, it, 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 it's very odd <laughs> in that, there's probably there's at least probably four teams in that classification that could say, hey, we're the best team, um, based on like what um, based on what we've done on the field. None of them have played each other. You mentioned that Glens Falls only played the one game. Um, that that's that's a class that when we get to the playoffs, uh, you know, I think we're going to get to the playoffs and we're going to have really nothing settled um, amongst those those teams who think at least that they're the top teams. And we'll wrap up the uh, power rankings. Uh, Class D, uh, Greenwich, Lake George, Hadley, Luzerne, uh, Kanajahari, Fort Plain, tie for third with uh, Chatham, and Cambridge-Salem rounding out the top five. And that one, I mean, those top two teams have been, you know, head and shoulders above everybody else in that class with the caveat that we've only seen Cambridge play once and they played, uh, you know, they played up in classification. Um, so they're, they're fifth in that poll. Um, you know, maybe when we come back next week, we're talking about them being the best team in that class after we've, you know, seen them play kind of a, a like-sized opponent. Well, I don't think we're really snowing to forecast. We'll have some good weather, so hopefully uh, some good football. You definitely just ruined that. But, yeah, we're supposed to be beautiful <laughs> through it. So now we're probably looking at snow on Friday and just, rain on Saturday, and we'll see what happens on Sunday. I just got to gotta rebound from my picks in the Gazette in the football newsletter. But I haven't checked. How, how, how bad did you do that? I, I, didn't, I didn't pick Queensburg. You did not? Okay. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> but you can uh, get to sign up for the both the Daily Gazette sports newsletter and the football newsletter. So go to dailygazette.com and uh, find out how you can do that. So, Michael, appreciate a few minutes. All right, thanks a lot. All right, that's Michael Kelly, sports editor of the Daily Gazette. We're heading to Augusta, Georgia in our final segment of the podcast. Brian Katrick of Sirius XM Radio joins me to talk about the Masters here on the Parting Shots Podcast. Sign up for the weekly Daily Gazette sports newsletter. The newsletter features updates on the local sports scene from our staff writers, debate on topics local and national, and reveals the latest guests for the Parting Shots podcast. The newsletter is free. To sign up, head to dailygazette.com. Hey, this is Jake Mott, political reporter for Business Insider, and I'm a former Daily Gazette staff writer. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. My next guest will be calling his 20th Masters starting Thursday, and that can be heard on Sirius XM Radio, which has the exclusive rights for the first time. He's host of Katrick and McGinnis on tap weekdays at 4 p.m., and he co-hosts with Greg Norman on the Tack Life Radio. Please welcome back to the podcast, uh, Brian Katrick. Brian, uh, welcome back. And it's just like, like you said before we came on the air, it seems like just, you know, we talked yesterday about the Masters. Yeah, I'm still uh, I'm still basking in it. It was a whole lot of fun watching Dustin Johnson win this uh, with uh, with limited folks and you know scoring record and the whole nine yards. And here we go again. Good, yeah. good to be back with you, Ken. Good to be back with you too, Brian. And just uh, talk about that whole experience last November. Uh, was it amazing they were able to pull it off and uh, have a tournament? I I don't know that I'd go that far <laughs> simply because. Uh, golf was very lucky through through this particular through this particular virus in that 
You know, we just just the way that our sport works. We're outside. We're away from people. Nobody plays any defense. Nobody has to be there. It's it's kind of checked every box, which you didn't know that ahead of time. But uh, but yes, I you always feel like they could have they could have competed at the highest level in this particular game. NASCAR is kind of the same way. You know, those guys are in cars. They're not near each other. So. Uh, they were sort of fortunate. Um, but the way they pulled it off and, and the, the fact that you get the, the word that you hear with the Masters every year is special. And that's the one word that just keeps coming up. It's special. And and it was even more special in November. There were no ropes. The, the viewing experience for, for those that were there uh, was even more intimate than normal. It was It was just special. And it was different. And we're never going to see that again. Even even this week, it's going to be different, but not the way that it was in November. Yeah, especially knowing that at that time of the year, you're in the middle of the NFL season. Uh, they had to accommodate for CBS uh, you know, showing games. Obviously, CBS did not show any one o'clock games that week, so it was just like it was just a straight, a whole strange, but it, it pulled off and it was great. And as you said, Dustin Johnson was just. Uh, remarkable, and uh, to win that the way he did. And do you think he's uh, ready to, de- uh, to defend that title? I think he is. Uh, number one in the world. He went on to win the FedEx Cup, so clearly his game is hitting on uh, on most, if not all, the cylinders. And, you know, I'll back up just a second because it's something else you just mentioned. That's, I think, another reason why I wasn't amazed that they pulled off the Fall Masters. We knew that the sport checked, checked all the, the boxes with the virus, and again, was just very fortunate. But you also knew there was going to be cooperation, and that whoever needed to work together was going to work together. And you know, in today's today's climate, socio political climate, you don't see that a lot. But within sports, you're seeing it more, and specifically within this game, you just knew everybody was going to do whatever they had to do in order to make this work. And it was just really cool to see. Well, let's talk about the person that's not going to be there, unfortunately, at Tiger Woods in a, in a serious auto uh, automobile crash uh, early, early this year. And I, I know Tiger has missed some Masters in the past because of his back, but does this him not being there feel different this time? Well, sure. Uh, even even in, the, in November, he had a bad back, yet he was still in it until he made a 10 at the 12th hole. Uh, you know, he's, he's never out of it. Well, he's out of it. You know, because he's, he's obviously he's not walking right now, and and I'm the optimist. All right, so so I'm going to look at this optimistically. Uh, first of all, he wasn't hurt worse than he was. You know, no one else was involved in this. Those are those are all overwhelmingly positive things. Uh, and then since then, he's been able to go home. We've not heard one follow-up piece of information other than the surgeon who came out that day and said, "Here are the things that were broken." that we worked on in an, from an emergency standpoint. Uh, so an optimist could look at that set of facts, which I am, and say, hey, if that's all we got, if, if we're just uh, you know, damaged lower right leg, that's a right-handed player, that's something that you can come back from. That's, you know, this is a ski accident. Now, we know that it's worse than that, but, but we wouldn't have thought anything different if this was a ski accident. We'd think, okay, how many months? That's what we do in sports. Okay, what's the injury? How many months? How many weeks? When is he going to be back for the Washington game? You know, that's how we think. Uh, we didn't think that the day of this accident. I think rightfully so. But the farther we get from it, and we haven't heard anything else from the camp, if if that's the extent of the injuries, I, I think there's a lot of room for optimism. Jordan Spieth just ended his drought on Sunday. Uh, went what? Um... 1,351 days between victories. Do you think he's getting his game back into form? It was a nice run to break that slump just in time for the Masters. Yes. Yeah, I, I think that he would have been fine with it breaking one week later. <laughs> but but I don't know that it would have, Ken. Honestly, you know, you needed that one. And it probably in his book wouldn't have, wouldn't have minded it coming about two or three weeks ago. Uh, but you never mind winning the week before the Masters. You're, you just won at the highest level of the game. Uh, everything's going about as good as it possibly can go. I, these guys talk about being able to win with their B game and their C game. Okay, fine. It, it, they can grade it however they want. You've got to have your A game to win on the PGA Tour. And so to have your A game 
seven days before you'd like to have had it again for four days is, is awful nice for Jordan Spieth. And, and yeah, he's been working at it. So a lot of folks saw this coming. My concern was that he was going to be so consumed with the level of success that he had. that It's really hard to struggle at the professional level. It's even harder to struggle when you're at the top of the food chain. The whole world was watching. Everybody was asking what's wrong with Jordan Spieth. And that can really get to a guy. And whether it did or it didn't, he didn't show it. So it's really nice that, that he's got this behind him now. Yep. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau last year uh, had a uh, 286, 40-day total, two under par. He tried to conquer the course, and the, the course won. What does he have to do to adjust his game for this? Obviously, he loves, loves the power game, but uh, how, you know, after playing last November, do you think he learned a lesson? Uh, I think he learned a lot of lessons, Ken. Now, the thing is, he hasn't shared them. Uh, you remember, not only did it not go well for, for big, bulky Bryson, but he got beaten head-to-head on Sunday by Bernhard Langer, who's 117 years old. <laughs> That's what uh, Walked every step of the way. He's 70 yards behind him on some tee shots, and, and not only beat him for the tournament, but beat him head-to-head that day. If they were playing $100 a hole, Langer beat that guy, and that's really all the eye-opening that that I think Bryson needs to have is to say, all right, clearly the game plan coming into this week didn't work for whatever reason. Maybe he just wasn't physically able to pull it off. Uh, But, you know, not only did my game plan not work, but the complete opposite just beat us head-to-head. Here's a guy playing small ball. So, you know, you're not going to see him going to you know, seven irons off of every tee. What you did see him do was he put the protein shakes down. He's not as big. Now, he's still working out. His plan is still to swing at it really hard and hit it really, really far. But the the size experiment kind of reached maximum density, if you will. Uh, and that may actually be what it reached. He said, that's enough. Let's uh, we, We're fast enough for now. We're going to maintain the speed we have, and we're going to try it again. That's what we've seen publicly. What we haven't seen is what else is going on behind the scenes. So you know he's got a plan. We just don't know what it is yet. You mentioned Lyon was going to bring him up. 63 years old. He, he you know, played well last year. As you mentioned, finished, uh, beat uh, Bryson. What is it about Longer that he, he just continues to play well? He, just, uh, he makes the cut at his age, and you think, wow, that's great. Well, Augusta National is one of those places that you have to learn, and he's learned it. Obviously, he's won here twice, so uh, for him to have that and, and have that in the back of his mind, have a bunch of good memories, and, and have kind of the, the lay of the land, he knows his way around, that's gigantic, and it gives him that little extra bit of confidence where, uh, you know, Bryson, Bryson hit it left at three one of the days. Three is a, is a short hole. It's about 350 yards, and he can get on that hole. But left is no good. Now, you don't have to have won the Masters twice to know that left is no good, but to, to balance it out the way a professional golfer needs to in his head, uh, it, it's awful nice. And Langer, he knows what shots are worth what, and he knows what shots are not that punitive and where he can hit the gas pedal and where he can't. It's, it's almost like watching two different types of cars run the same track. And I don't know if you're a car guy, but... They can't all, they're not all going to steer the same way. They're not all going to accelerate the same way. Yet Langer, with seemingly less in, less under the hood, put down a better lap time. Yeah, my car, my, my car game is like my golf game, always to the left. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that's oncoming traffic. That's not good. You're going to want, you want to go the other way with it. Yeah. Uh, let's look at the field. I mean, who can challenge Johnson uh, for the green jacket? Most of them. Yeah. I think I think Justin Thomas, you know, win at the Players Championship gave him a ton of confidence. We just talked. You talked about Jordan Spieth. He's coming in with a ton of confidence. You know, Bryson is on the list. It was a you know it wasn't a disaster, but it wasn't great in the fall. But you know, he's regrouped. He's won since then. So you gotta you gotta keep him on the list. Um, uh, John Rahm was man. I want to say he was over twenty five to one this past weekend as the number three player in the world, mm-hmm. that's that's kind of crazy. One of the reasons why was he wasn't sure if he was going to play the whole week because he was waiting for his wife to have their first child. Well, they had their first child, a little son, back on Saturday now. So 
now now Rom's in. That that weight is off his chest. Mom is healthy, baby's healthy, life is different for John Rom and he doesn't have that hanging over him right now. So you put him on the list, and this, you probably take anybody in the top 15 in the world, Ken, right now, and make a, make a real good case that those guys can win. I'm listening to the background while you're speaking. Uh, I can hear the, uh, the birds chirping out there. It's, it sounds like it's a good good day down there in Augusta. Well, the errand's finished, and yes, this is, uh, we are, I'm probably about three miles from the golf course. Wow. And so I've got the same loblolly pines providing the shade, get those same birds that are chirping. That's that's for anybody that says, and there's plenty of them, oh, those are fake birds. Well, these ain't. <laughs> these are the same birds. <laughs> and I'm glad you could hear them. Yeah. Well, uh, what's the policy this year? Will we see a limited number of patrons again this year? Uh, patrons are going in. They will allow patrons. It's a limited number. And... Uh, everyone will have to stay as distant as they can. The, some of the policies with regards to the chairs and where they're going to be gathering. Uh, the old the old master tradition of, of getting in early and putting your chair down and leaving it there, and then everybody else respecting that and not, you know, that, that, that's your chair. You get it when you come back for it. Uh, they've decided that let's not do that. Let's, uh, you know, you bring your chair with you, but you're going to take it with you. Uh, we saw it a little bit. In the final round of the Augusta National Women's Amateur, we saw what it looked like. There are ropes up. There were not ropes in November uh, because it was just guests. It was members and players and guests. Well, now we've, we've got it open to patrons, and uh, so they're going to treat it that way. I saw trash cans. I'm assuming there's some sort of concessions on a limited basis. Uh, so this is going to be a lot closer to the Masters that we've, we've come become accustomed to. Well, thank, thank goodness we're getting back to some sort of normalcy here. Uh, I mentioned in the Open, this is your 20th Masters. Uh, what are your memories of the, in, of the past, uh, over the years? Oh, there's just a ton of them. You know, my first Masters was 1999, and the guy that I'm going to sit next to this week almost won it. And it was one of my first memories was how these folks from, and in my mind, from this city, now, you know, I would come to learn over the next 20 years that they're from all over the world, but uh, these folks just adopted him. This, this Australian, this, you know, he was, he was beyond his, his he, he was past his prime already. Uh, he had not won the tournament before. There was just some reason why they adopted him. You know, one of the reasons why is he had a great finish his first year. He was a runner-up in 86 when, when Nicholas won. He lost in the playoff the next year when Mize chipped in on him, and that, that, that was born here in Augusta. So, so what, what it was is they all understood that Greg Norman has had his close calls. He's paid his dues, and now we're going to root for this guy. And, you know, unfortunately for Greg, 99 was another close call where he, didn't, he never, you know, never quite got there. But I was struck by their love for him. And it was obvious. It was clear. It wasn't just a question. It's like walking in Cameron Indoor Stadium. You're aware of who they're rooting for. It was obvious who they were rooting for. Yeah. That, that was one of my first memories. And, and that's kind of, you know, that, that tradition continues. That it's not always just one guy. But the amount of passion here uh, from, from the patrons is just incredible. It's also a week that uh, we're getting into the social media era, so it's just coming a little bit less the case. But it's hard to go somewhere, Ken, for an entire week, interact with this many people. Now, obviously, November was less, and this, this week's going to be less. But normally, you're interacting with a couple of thousand people on some level, and everyone's on their best behavior. Mm-hmm. When's the last time you saw that? <laughs> you know, there's, there's century, just not, last, last there's not one jerk. <laughs> last century, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just not one jerk in the group. And, and even if he is, he's, he's toned it down for the day uh, because the guy he's with told him to tone it down. It just You never see that. And, and this, is, this is really the one last place that you see it. It's, it's really cool. How much of a thrill is it to, to be working with Greg? He's a, he's a wonderful person, Ken, and is uh, so passionate about the game still. And, you know, what, one of the heartbreaking things that happens with Greg is, you know, we, we tell the joke about how, like, eight of the top ten shots of all time in the history of golf were to beat Greg Norman. <laughs> that guy's been on the other side of it pretty much his whole career. And, you know, the, one of the worst moments 
in, in major championship history from a leader standpoint was, was what happened to Greg in, in 96. And he will tell you about it. He will tell you about every shot. It's the type of thing you don't even want to pretend that he was here that year. But he has not shied away from it. He's owned it because that's the kind of guy he is. You present Greg Norman a challenge, and he will overcome it. And, you know, he will at least address it. So he'll tell you. He'll go shot by shot in 86, and he'll tell you that, I'm sorry, 96, and he'll tell you that, you know, he just wasn't good enough, and he made this mistake here and that mistake there. He's not making any excuses. Nobody coughed in any of his backswings. Nick Faldo didn't get lucky on any of those holes in, in the retelling of Greg Norman. And there's something very easy to appreciate about that. I mean, this guy is just as straightforward as they get, as passionate about our game as you get, and has been successful at every possible level of it, from, from playing to you know, designing golf courses to his own clothing line. You name it. He has excelled at it, and it's inspirational. Yeah. I think he has sort of had the idea for the World Golf Championships, which I think a lot of people you know, basically said, no, nah, not really. And now we see the WGC out there. I'm thinking he, he had sort of had the brain, was a brainchild of that. He was the game's biggest star at the time. It was, it was an obvious idea to him. And uh, it was one because we didn't have a tiger-like star in a lot of people's opinions, uh, that it wasn't as obvious to everybody else. It was pretty easy to, to pitch Tiger. Hey, wherever this guy goes, you know, the other the other 49 guys in the field, it's going to be a pretty good event. We ought to give a lot of points and a lot of money for that. It was a little tougher for Greg to introduce that idea, but he was not any less right about it, was he? And, uh, and, and he, it's another story that he will tell you. You know, he will tell you exactly how that went. It didn't go how everybody thinks it went. Uh, the idea wasn't stolen from him. Uh, he wasn't the only one that had it. He just happened to be the number one player in the world at the time. So this is the guy whose endorsement you had to have, and uh, and they had it. And the idea came to fruition. It just came to fruition across the desk of somebody other than who Greg was working with at the time. Well, Brian, appreciate a few minutes. Enjoy the golf this weekend, and uh, we'll be listening on Sirius XM Radio starting Thursday morning. You got it, Ken. Thank you so much. All right, that's Brian Kedrick. We'll be back to wrap up the podcast in just a moment. NASCAR season is here, and it's time to play the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. Go to dailygazette.com to sign up and play. Predict the order of finish of each race via your auto racing account. The fan with the most correct points for the race will win a $50 grocery card and have their name mentioned on the Party Shots podcast and printed in Friday's Daily Gazette. The fan with the most overall points at the end of the season wins a $250 grocery card. You can also win a $75 Visa gift card provided by Second Street if you're the weekly national winner. If you are the overall national winner, you will win a trip for two to the 2022 Daytona 500. So go to dailygazette.com, sign up, and play today. The Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, this is Union Men's Hockey Coach Rick Bennett. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. NASCAR took Easter Sunday off. It returns Saturday night. If you're playing the Daily Gazette's auto racing contest, make sure to get your picks in. And as always, I'll be announcing the weekly winner of the contest, and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. I have the top three finishers in the Daily Gazette's March Madness Bracket Challenge. First place went to Joe Sineski. Danella Carr finished second, and Jake O'Hara took third. The contest was sponsored by Ultimate Roofing, with supporting sponsor Grand Premier Tire and Custom Wheels. Keep checking out DailyGazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates and news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you are doing. In this difficult time, 
Even though the vaccine for the coronavirus is here, keep wearing the face mask while you're out. Be positive. Stay negative. And I'm getting my shot on Monday. That's my first one. I can't wait. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank Mike McGadam, Adam Schinder, Michael Kelly, and Brian Katrick for coming on the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed in the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, be smart, stay safe, wear the face mask.